0: Hey friends, this is newsletter number 19. Do I want to be the one deciding this? I just dropped off my ballot at the Dropbox. The total cost of this year's state and federal elections is a record-breaking $16.7 billion, whereas Mexico's publicly funded elections cost less than 2% of that amount. $16.7 billion. And yet, I struggle to find clear information about the ballot and the actual implications of my decisions. Regardless of the relative strengths of each candidate, what do I even know about the responsibilities of California's treasurer, controller, insurance commissioner, and God forbid, the State Board of Equalization, which I learned today is the only publicly elected tax commission in the country. Should I and my fellow Californians decide who fills these positions or should it be more like the federal government where we simply elect a governor who then appoints cabinet positions? While I struggled to find straightforward information to help me fill out my ballot, my inbox was full of opinion pieces telling me how the future of the country, and planet, will come down to just a handful of close congressional races in places where I don't live. Next section, Gen Z votes for the first time. On November 3rd, 1998, Millennials voted for the first time. Looking back at my journal entry from that morning, I had just finished working the graveyard shift at 7-Eleven, and was waiting at the donut shop next door for the polls to open. Parenthetically, my love of donuts continues, while my working conditions have improved. Much like this year, I knew relatively little about the candidates, but was still excited to vote, and I found it hilarious that there was a ballot proposition to make the sale of horse meat for human consumption a misdemeanor, which passed, by the way, so please don't eat horse meat in California. Today, Gen Z will vote in midterm elections for the first time, and how many of them choose to do so will help decide the close races and control of Congress. Given what seems to be now the near certainty of a 2024 Trump presidential bid, their voting turnout will also decide the next presidential election, as the exit polls from 2020 below highlight. For the past 22 years, the Harvard Youth Poll has surveyed a few thousand youth aged 18 to 24 about their views on politics and democracy. When the project launched in April 2000, the founders described their motivation as, quote, in 1972, 50% of eligible voters aged 18 to 24 cast a ballot in the presidential election. By 1996, the number of young people voting for president was down to 32%. This project is an effort to understand why political participation among young people continues to decline and what might be done to reverse the trend. Around the same time in 1990, Virgin Records Records partnered with MTV to launch Rock the Vote, but youth turnout remained stubbornly low until the 2004 Bush versus Kerry election. And look at the graph below showing voter turnout rates among 18 to 24 year olds we are now nearly back to the levels of 1972 participation, and this year youth may exceed them. Way to go, Gen Z. The Harvard Youth Poll released their latest survey results last week, including a three-minute YouTube overview produced by some delightful Gen Zers. Next section, a make-believe quest. I spent nine hours on Saturday, riding my bike with three friends through the redwood forest surrounding Santa Cruz. We expected sunshine and blue skies. What we got was rain, fog, and mud. It was an excellent adventure. There's something prehistorically satisfying about spending an entire day exploring in nature with friends. A quest, I am told, is a journey toward a specific goal that requires great exertion on the part of the hero who must overcome many obstacles that lead to a change in outlook. I don't know that any of us had a specific goal, other than finishing, though we certainly overcame many obstacles and we grew closer together in the process. This is our second consecutive year spending the day before daylight savings on a quest, and I'm already looking forward to next year's edition. The next and last section is what we learn in our early forties. I was unexpectedly touched by an opinion piece about the divorce of 45 year old quarterback Tom Brady and 42-year-old supermodel Giselle Bunchen. What follows is a rather long excerpt from that essay that touches on a number of themes that I've been discussing with friends in recent weeks. So here starts the quote or the excerpt. Where my sympathies might lie with Mr. Brady, they revolve around what happens to a marriage when one person loses something he thinks is an important part of his identity. What is retirement? compared to the roaring adoration of fans every time you step out onto the field. A lot of athletes find they don't quite know what to do with themselves when their career begins to dim. Ms. Bunchen hadn't aged out of her career. She put it to the side to enable Mr. Brady's. Motherhood can uproot anyone's sense of who she used to be, even if Giselle's fortune, fame, and cultural power obviously exempt her from many of the practical realities that weigh so heavily on many mothers. Marriage, in its modern incarnation, has become less a contract between a couple and their community and more a promise between two people to single-handedly fulfill each other's every need. Pop culture narratives venerate marriage as an accomplishment by itself, whereby two people who are perfectly matched are emotionally and economically interdependent, untethered to friends and family and other members of their community exactly the support network that might provide a sense of validation and worth when you can't play professional football anymore. For women like Ms. Bunchen, in marriages where both partners have interests outside of the marriage and household, roles often shift based on availability, income, health, and whatever they agreed to in the partnership. They also shift according to societal expectations, and even wealthy women like Ms. Bunchen who can afford childcare and outside help and has more control over her time than a lot of working women are still subject to the old biases that their role is essentially supportive and their own ambitions secondary end excerpt what i've learned in my early 40s is that marriage is a source of great joy comfort and growth and it can be dangerous when one's marriage becomes the sole source of an identity same as work friendships, families, and hobbies, no single source will satisfy us all of the time. I'm reminded of a, reflect, of a reflection by endurance runner Bolota Asmarong toward the end of a long podcast. He says that running has given him everything. It is his source of pain, pleasure, and motivation. But now that he's in his 40s and mindful that he could suffer a debilitating injury at any time, he's looking for his plan B, other so- sources of joy, meaning, and transcendence. And with that, may you have a happy, meaningful, and transcendent week. I'll catch you next week.